0: Hello. Hola. Hello. Ni hao. Bonjour. Hi. Buenos dias. Guten Tag. G'day. Welcome to the HUSITA Podcast, a production of the Human Services Information Technology Association. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the HUSITA Podcast. My name is Dr. Jimmy Young and I'll be your host. This month's episode is just a bit different, as we have guest host Jonathan Singer from the Social Work Podcast coming back to the future from the Husita Dublin Conference in 2018. Dr. Singer interviewed Walter LaMondola and Hein de Groff about the founding of Husita. This particular project has actually been a few years in the making, and we, the board of Husita, are happy to finally have a home for these recordings that can be shared and consumed widely. The discussion followed a couple of different topics, but I find it incredibly interesting that Dr. Lamendola was creating courses on technology and bringing up issues related to marginalization and oppression of vulnerable populations via technology decades ago. Despite the animosity to tech, Dr. LaMondola persisted in advocating for the ethical and appropriate use of technology. We get a bit more history of how Dr. Lamendola became interested in technology and focused some of his studies on this topic. He shared some key moments in the history of Husita, such as how he and Dick Scheck used one of the first networking society platforms of a very rudimentary internet, as well as the development of Husita conferences and some early support from the company AT&T. About halfway through, we transitioned the interview to include Hein de Graaf, who began his involvement with Husita as a social researcher for the Ministry of Holland. He states that he wasn't really involved in the academics of technology at that time, but instead he researched many different social issues. And he was actually quite interested in the gaming aspect of technology and came across a bulletin board from Dick Scheck about a technology-related conference. It was at this conference where Hein and Walter first met, and Hein realized how important computers were becoming for the social aspects of human interaction. Hein relates some interesting stories about resistance to technology such as computer cords that were being cut and clients or service users being told that computers just weren't for them. Thankfully Hein also persisted with information communication technologies and created ENITH or the European Network for Information Technology in Human Services. I found this conversation incredibly enlightening, funny, even the part where they talk about "Can you hear me?" This is a bit that obviously has become more famous in our modern context with uh, Verizon, those commercials of Can You Hear Me Now? I think this conversation's incredibly meaningful to help us understand a bit of social work tech history, and I fully appreciate the ideas for Hucita's future that were presented in this conversation, albeit two years ago, and would also add to the call for Husita to do more and even encourage you to join us in our efforts. I hope you enjoy this month's episode, and I also hope that you'll share this podcast with many of your networks. And now, on to the episode. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, could you um, state your name, uh, title, and position, please?
2: Uh, Walter Lamendela, and uh, I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Denver.
1: When Jusita started, what was your title and position, and what were you doing?
2: Uh, I was at the University of Denver. I had uh, started a an information technology center there in 1984. Uh, there was no Husita. <clears throat> I actually made the name up. Uh, it sounded uh, good to me. <laughs> 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 sort of uh, uh, a globally uh, acceptable name, I suppose. Um, but What I was doing was uh, I had developed four courses for graduate students in social work in information technology, and we had incorporated them into the curriculum at that time. And I had students who were carrying uh, compact computers, 20-some-odd pounds, uh, out to agencies and uh, learning to do uh, database structures some of the fundamentals of uh, information systems and uh, data collection. The Information Technology Center itself at that time <coughs> uh, had, had assembled, uh, I think, 12 to 15 computers. Uh, they were the first computers uh, set together in the lab at the university, and we installed the first um, local area network at the university at that time as well. Um, So they were networked and we were able to um, actually hold a meeting of the um, GADE group, which is a doctoral education group at uh, Denver and engage uh, Bell Labs in helping us develop a classroom of the future project. The uh, Classroom of the Future project then allowed us, when we held the GADE meeting, to use AT&T to um, link together with um, uh, people in New York so that the Silberman Fund, which was a sponsor at that time of uh, our initiatives, was uh, they were able to address uh, the people at the GADE meeting uh, in a, briefly in a... Uh, In a video simulcast. Um, So it was uh, at that time uh, quite a uh, forward looking area, but uh, I was concerned that uh, there was no unifying force uh, for looking at uh, human service information technology applications. I think. uh, Dick Sheck and I were the only ones that I knew of. There were a few others, of course, but uh, who had an interest. Um, and I noticed that there was a conference in Europe on computer use in uh, social work. And Brian Glastonbury had authored a book on computers and social work uh, just prior to that time. So <clears throat> I uh, got in my head that we might be able to put together an international conference and perhaps a group that would work in this area. So,
1: so when you were creating these courses, what was your vision and, and what was the reaction of people around you to really what, what was an incredibly novel set of technologies like area network computers and video simulcast, all those sorts of things.
2: Well the faculty was very resistant and eventually um, in a course of probably four years they were able to uh, close the uh, Information Technology Center and uh, by 1989, 1990 they tried to stop teaching any of the courses as
1: well. So what justification did they have for for shutting it all down?
2: They, um, well, there were a couple of things that happened. Uh, one was they, they thought that they could argue that information technology should be integrated in the curriculum and therefore make it disappear, which is what they did. Uh, the... At that time, there was very little justification for uh, resisting the the technology, Um, although uh, I think people believed that the technology was somehow evil, somehow opposed to human principles and values. So uh, the initial course that was required of all students of the four-course sequence that I developed was an introduction to information technology and social work. And it uh, covered areas of oppression, disempowerment, uh, how technology might be used as a force against uh, those who are disadvantaged and so on. And they use those topics, really, as tools to say, see, we were right, (laughs) so we should get rid of this (laughs) and resist it, yeah. Wow. All
1: right. That's amazing. So there were only two people in the United States that you knew of that were doing computer stuff which means that you weren't learning it from other social work faculty. This this wasn't something that was in a class. Where, so how did you start to do this? How did you start to get involved in computers and, and, and human
2: services? Yeah, I've thought a bit about this, obviously. But um, when I grew up, my father was a printer. And um, a part of my earliest memories are at age five when he would dump a case of type on the floor and put it back and say, sorted and put it together again. <laughs> uh, so I grew up in a family of, uh, of printers and lithographers and so on and had an interest in words in that way. Uh, when I went to the University of Pittsburgh, I um, was studying uh, community organization and uh, was a community street organizer. And at the same time, the uh, social work faculty there were pretty resistant to community organization, much as they are today. And I took courses across the different universities in the Pittsburgh area, one of which was at Carnegie Mellon, where they were developing a computer game called CLUG, a land-use game. So I was exposed briefly to computers there. Wait, so, so, so what's CLUG? It's the uh, Cornell land use game. Uh, it no longer exists, obviously. That would have been 1964. So <clears throat> when I um, continued in community organization, I continued to be interested in the development of information systems and uh, later went to the University of Minnesota after spending two years in Sweden. Well, in Sweden, uh, the reason I uh, studied there after uh, being released from uh, the Army was that I was very interested in what they were doing to uh, develop community organizations using what I called, at that time, primitive database techniques. And so when I went, we, uh, I worked with a group called Archiv Somtal, which translated means the archive of conversations. And I would go to community meetings in the basements of uh, places in Stockholm. And people would talk about all of their problems, which they could not do openly at the time. I would record the conversations. Uh, put them in a primitive database, and people would call Arkiv Samtal by telephone, and I would say, oh, yes, we're having problems with young children over here. I'll send you the conversation about it. Those uh, those transfers of conversations between and among people uh, moved into a national movement in Sweden at the time called um uh, <clears throat> the village biolog, which means village conversation, so that it moved from individual conversations to a conversation among people. And I always was um, fascinated by the fact that they could do this. So my thesis at that time that I wrote was about the morphogenetic property of sharing conversations, the idea that they were very generative in terms of social action.
1: So, real quick, what were you using to record these conversations?
2: Uh, just hand transcriptions. I was looking at um, the work done at Scandia, the Swedish insurance company, and met some of the people who were working there, and they were developing computer based databases. And so I learned how to begin to develop a database record from them. And at that point, I had <coughs> I was close to graduation, so I returned to the States. Uh, when I looked for a doctoral program in the States, there were no computer science programs anywhere, but at the University of Minnesota in the School of Social Work, I could design my own program, and there were people there <coughs> who were in the school business and applied statistics who were actually working in what we would today recognize as areas of computer science. So I went there, was accepted. Uh, there were a class of two people that were accepted. And um, the, my dissertation was basically around information system development and human service organizations. And, and what year was this? Uh, that would be in 1973. So it turns out, I think, to be the first or among the first certainly of dissertations in social work around information system development. So it it was primitive, fairly primitive work. But I interviewed administrators across the Twin Cities area and had ideas about how information systems could be developed. After graduation and teaching at Florida State, I wanted to pursue that. Well, there were no small computer systems, uh, nothing of that sort. So I went back to Minnesota, began working with some uh, people at Stanford who had a company called Chromemco. And they would ship out to this small town in Minnesota, uh, uh, the circuit boards and all the parts, and then I had to assemble them, put them on a computer, and I identified a few programmers, and I developed a system called the Human Service System that was then deployed in a mental health organization. It had a, um, <clears throat> a CRT and a small computer of about oh less than 100 pounds. And, and a CRT is, is, a, is what we now call a monitor. Yes, a monitor. And what it did basically was a person entering the mental health organization would complete an assessment, uh, which at that time was the Denver Mental Health Inventory, which would give the incoming therapist an idea of what the person's issues were and what their problems were, and then... They would um, take that, and the system allowed them to enter notes. It would store their notes, and it would actually uh, create a a billing for the uh, therapeutic episode. And what year was this? The system was deployed um, in 1978.
1: This almost sounds like an early
2: electronic medical record. Yeah, it was an early... um, mental health and uh, system, or health record system. Um, And uh, it was fully functional. Um, In 1979, the International Federation of Information Processing Societies solicited uh, candidates for innovative computing awards. They were recognizing at that time that there were small computers. And so they had a category for small computer awards, and my system was given that award. So that same year I went to the, uh, 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 I think it might have been a CSWE meeting, I'm not sure. I did a presentation on the system, and I had uh, the system displayed on the floor with staff uh, showing people how this could operate. Well, I knew at the uh, meeting in New York when they gave me the award that there were some issues because uh, the Dutch TV people came by and they would uh, did a, a film that they showed on their public TV about the issues of privacy of the person being interviewed in front of the ATM. I mean the CRT. So... Um, you know, I was a little circumspect about that, that's why I brought staff there to try to show people that it could be done confidentially. Uh, well, as I was doing my presentation in, a, in, a, in one of the rooms, uh, a, a woman came running into the room and said, you need to come downstairs, there's problems. <laughs> so I ran downstairs. And there was almost a mob of people around my display saying, you have to get this off, out. It doesn't belong in a social work conference. And it was getting pretty ugly. Um, but the main presenter at that time, I believe, was, uh, had been the commissioner of um, public welfare in Pennsylvania, and he knew me because I had worked as a caseworker. And he, he was in the back, he had delivered the keynote, and he raised his hand, he had a cane, he was an elderly person. He said, Walter, Walter, show me what this can do, and pushed his way through with his wife, and they sat down and the crowd dissipated. So that was uh, kind of my introduction
1: <laughs> to things. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing story. And it's such a great example of how you can have somebody in a position of authority just sort of drop in and say, hey, everybody back off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah.
1: So as you think about the past 30 years, what stands out as key moments in the history of the organization?
2: Well, probably the, um, the, the initial key moments were <clears> – <throat> In thinking that we could actually begin an international movement because at the time we were um, basically working with the United States as the home and uh, center of the technology effort and in our tech information technology center we had created no inventory of social software programs we had tried to develop a national presence um, People probably know that uh, later we would uh, be working with Murray Turoff and the, uh, the first network uh, vehicle. <clears throat> uh, so we were right at the edge of technology, and we were trying to push forward with that in, in social work. And can, can you unpack what you just
1: said <laughs> about the first network vehicle and those things? Because I, I don't know that,
2: that people know what you're talking about. Um, if you look at the history of um, the work done, writings about the network society and the first vehicles for people to actually network, um, you'll find that uh, <clears throat> the idea that there could be an internetwork of some time, um, uh, of some type, actually started with very small efforts, um For example, FidoNet was one of the early ones that we adopted and used in social work, so that in Denver we had a uh, a FidoNet that we used out of the university that was free. People could actually talk to each other um, and uh, it was health oriented. <clears throat> In New Jersey, the most famous of the experiments was one uh, done by uh, uh, Murray Turoff and his wife, and it was called EIES. And it was uh, one that we used for the uh, first conference on uh, information technology and human services here in the States, sponsored by the Silberman Fund. So Gunther Geis who led that effort uh, out of Rutgers University, uh, worked with Murray, and so we were able to do some of our meetings uh, using this primitive networking tool. Well, as it turns out, only Dick Scheck and I could use it reliably. And so it was an uneven use of the network uh, originally. But, and, and Dick was at UT Arlington right yeah so um, it it, uh, it I wouldn't say it flourished but it's we certainly used it so social work was actually involved in the very beginnings of this what we now know as the network society which I think is extraordinarily interesting since we are now laggard in, in most of these areas. Um, But I had an idea that we might be able to develop an international conference when I noticed that uh, there was a conference in in Britain that had attracted some attention. The difficulties in starting that kind of effort were that no one in social work wanted to put up any money. Um, It was very difficult to communicate with people who might have an interest, and since there was no networking available, it would be hard to try to figure out how we would get people to go anywhere to do this. Um, Fortunately, at the University of Denver, I was able to raise money. Um, I contacted uh, Brian Glastonbury and Stuart Toole at uh, Birmingham Polytechnic, and we began to try to... Uh, figure out how we could have a conference that would also involve people from the United States. Since I had worked with Bell Labs, AT&T was very interested and uh, provided support as well. So we were able to raise enough money so that we could uh, advertise, get people interested, have them uh, actually start a, um, a process of... Uh, Collecting proposals for the conference, the um, my colleague at the University of Denver, Brian Kleppinger, was a master at raising money, and he uh, he was able to keep the flow of funds going uh, through throughout the effort. Uh, so the beginnings of Husita were that. Difficult in the sense that we had no real way to get the word out, no way to get anything done, but it got done. And um, between Stuart and Brian, we raised enough money to pull it off.
0: At this point, we transition to Hein de Graf and his part of the interview, but you'll also still hear some of Dr. Lamendola and his comments and perspective as well.
1: All right. Um, so what is your name,
3: current title, and position? My name is Hein de Graaf, but the Americans call me Hein. <laughs> I'm um, a, in social psychologist. I'm a, well, a, a sort of doctor, DRS. That's a Dutch title, much less than at your place. And uh, uh, my title, my name, and well, the the title is not covering what I did. I was a social uh, researcher for the ministry for from sixty four up until eighty. Not this sixty four up to eighty six, something like that. A long time. So when Husita started, what was your title, and position, and, and what were you doing? Um, being a social researcher for the ministry meant that I had to research all the big social issues in Holland, like the, the, the refugees from Chile, how they were received. We had, uh, my big uh, uh, research at that moment was about the organizations of Turkish and American uh, in, in, uh, uh, workers in Holland. So there were real issues. They were not academic. I have always worked outside the academic area. So it's a little bit strange to go into the USITA area where they are all academic persons running around. There's a reason why I was, came involved because the subject uh, that I was at that moment on, almost the only one that was very much in my mind is this whole new development that I liked a lot, the new technology, as I told I was the Commodore 64, I used it, I looked at the Apple II, I had the first IBM at home, et cetera, et cetera. And then I realized we are yummies, young, urban, male, machine idolaters. <laughs> that was my, my <laughs> word. <laughs> okay. I, I, I've never heard that before. So That's yummies. What? I yummies. love that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and
1: when, what year were you using your Commodore 64?
3: So, uh, the Commodore 64 was uh, for my main uh, reason why I like computers is gaming, playing around. And uh, strangely enough, there were computers to play around with, and there were computers for the administrators, like the IBM, etc. There's nothing in between. What I discovered during that 85, 86 time, there was something else there going on. And that is the uh, the aspect of networking, etc. I didn't even know the word, but I've heard there were bulletin boards, and I tried to find out where they are. And so I came up until Dick Scheck, he had a bulletin board, I read somewhere in an article that I uh, found, and I said, let's try the bulletin board. And so I got in contact with Dick Schack about, you know, all kinds of things. He uh, at one moment says, oh, you're in Holland, are uh, interested in the subject. I happen to know that in England, there will be an English conference about the same subject. As I was working for the ministry, I could say to the ministry, this is interesting. Ah, said the ministry, we like it also. So they put on money, had four or five people coming over together with me to this British meeting. And the main speaker there was Walter Lamandola, And he was exactly... That's why I still remember the speech. Uh, it was a good speech, of course, but the subject was interesting because at the first... This is the first time I realized that computers were more than just playthings or administer things. They were something that was... It's becoming important for people and social aspects and at that time I really asked two things, the ethical side of it that was he covering, but secondly there are lots of people who would love to have been able to use this but they hate computers, they don't know about it they don't want to know about it and from that moment up until now that's my main thing in life how can we convince those people to at least have a look and do something about it
1: so, what was the topic of Walter's uh, talk that was so captivating for you?
3: Well, he can tell uh, if he remembers his speech, but it was about Aladdin and the Wonder Lamp. But ask him more about what it comprised, uh, because he, I was the one listening. He was the one talking. You know, there's a difference. I hear what I want to hear, and but the, the main message there was that the Wonder Lamp, look out. It's an interest, it looks like a, an interesting thing, like in the Ellen story you can it, and you can ask any question you want, and in the end, of course, you are worse off than before. <coughs> that message was the one which actually always in me. so I thought i uh, that's always what I do if I find interesting people in the world, I want to keep contact with them so that's I said Walter Stewart at that time, Brian was not yet <laughs> if you. But that's another story. Stuart didn't want to Brian to be in the forefront because Brian was the thinker and was, Stuart was the doer. That's another story altogether, but that's how it works. One gets the money and the other knows what it's all about. <laughs> I, my words, you know. <laughs> and, um, but at that time, I realized there is an international group of people and I should keep in touch with them. Otherwise, I will not go nowhere. And of course, I had that all those ministry people with money behind me. And that will come back later because that's an important factor for me there.
1: So as you think about the past 30 years, what stand out as key
3: moments in the history of the organization? Let's talk, let's think, 30 years. That covers 86. That's 30 years ago. 86. We're talking about that time. 85 was the first British USITA. 86 was the official uh, organized by Walter uh, again in Birmingham that... uh, the Ministry, in the first meeting was the British was becoming the people who were there were very interested in the subject and they realized when they were home that they were doing, weren't doing anything about it so I got the um, uh, I was got the money and well not the money I was working for the ministry so they said write a research about computers and social work in '86 Later on, it turned out to be the first book about the subject in Europe. <laughs> There was only in America they had this subject covered. What I did, I went to the social service areas and I interviewed people who got computers. And they were in tears. Oh, my God. What I, but because they, were, they must use computers where they used to use typewriters. So what they did, that was a computer and they started using it as a typewriter. And they said, every time I do return, it says A double points, etc. They were in DOS. And at the end, when typing, they didn't know how to print it. <laughs> there was a big mistake making. They said, computers are good for you, here. And it was only used for things that the typewriter was even be- doing better. So when they said, well, we can com- use computers for your social work, then there was a big uproar. And more than in America, where they were just talking, in, in Holland, they took scissors and started to cut all the cables of the computers as a, so, we will don't want to do anything with technology because it's not human. We are into the business of understanding humans, etc. So it was the same thing, even worse, I think, than America. So who who took scissors to computers? the, the, the social workers in the social work organizations, as a group, went with big scissors and uh, lots of press uh, pressed around them. and said, "This this is what we don't want in the in our." Computer in our uh, social work Uh, and this is something that at that time it was worse of course but it has always been and even nowadays it's still there it's not for us they cannot admit it now because everybody but it's not for us and that's what they say to the clients it's not for you the ministry when they get the report they realize there's a problem because the ministry thought this is interesting and they had money available for that and the social work area says says yes and did no. We know that's that's the, they never say uh, no to the ministry, but that's what the case is. So they said to me, Can you not organize more on the international level to get all the experts together and do something important about it? And we did two things. They or I helped them organize welcome one that's more or less well zane and computers or well Social, uh, well, not welfare, well, is something like social, that's not really translatable. Social area and, comput- and the use of computers. There was a three-day event where everybody who did something in that area came together. So there was the happy few who had small computers with small programs. And there were uh, thousands of visitors. Everybody was so interested. The minister itself came, was interviewed together with me from this is the future, etc. So at that moment, it's, oh, everything turns. Then the conference was over and it turned out to be the happy few <laughs> and not the last around. So they said, uh, can you not do anything European? And they gave me the money and I could call all my friends all over Euro- Europe in every country there was uh, to say, let's start in it. And that is the European Network for Information Technology in Human Services. That was my name. I just followed his his example. And, of course, they said there's no such thing as an ENIT with TH in English. But still, it's... And that was, in the beginning, a huge success. Why? Because the ministry paid. (laughs) Everybody came over and was paid for that. And uh, Jan will tell you more about that. But the ENIT was the start of a sort of European equivalent of the USITA. And we always were together. So for me the key moment was that we got get hold of Europe instead of only the Dutch involved in this area.
1: So the first Husita conference was in Birmingham. Can you tell me about the conference and how it got started and what was happening there and all, all that good juicy stuff?
2: Uh, I think I talked a little bit about the difficulties in getting the funding but those were resolved. Um, <clears throat> We had, uh, I think, a little over 300 submissions. We accepted uh, around 200, and I think ultimately had 187 accepted uh, submissions that were presented. Um, It was, uh, and uh, from our perspective, we we involved AT&T, as I had mentioned earlier, so when we traveled over to Birmingham we found out that the English Telecom was not wired properly for us to communicate Uh, we had set up with (coughs) AT&T the resources to broadcast from Birmingham to Denver, New York, Chicago and LA. Um, So when I arrived it was a mess because I couldn't figure out how to do this. And, and so um, was AT&T aware of the sort of interoperability issues with British Telecom? Not at that time. And um, I was working with a unit of at and called Bell Labs. And they were very forward thinking, of course. But uh, British Telecom was quite a different animal. <clears throat> so I, uh, when I arrived, we sponsored some conversations between AT&T, uh, British Telecom, and myself, and we decided to break the law, rewire the, uh, the uh, Birmingham Conference Center so we could do the broadcast. <laughs> so one of the strange moments in Husita was uh, me talking to the University of Denver and saying, can you hear me? <laughs> Which turned out to be a very famous sort of way of <laughs> depicting technology later on. Um, but we did successfully broadcast and um, Bell Lab was able to pick it up in the other cities. So it was a fairly successful uh, piece of what Husita had uh, accomplished in terms of the technology piece of it. Uh, but I think the most successful piece was that we were able to bring together for the first time people across the continents who now are technology saturated, um, those people in social work who had an interest in some way and uh, it was not just social work, it was psychology. It it crossed some disciplines in the social sciences as well. Okay. So it was, uh, it was a forward-looking conference. The, um, the, the moment at which Husita became more than just an idea <clears throat> was that during that meeting, a number of us got together and said, <clears throat> okay, we need to form a working group. We need to think about how this can move forward and i have to say i love the uh,
1: the vision of 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 you all literally like hacking
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> british telecom and then you know, thirty years before, can you hear me now? Becoming
3: <laughs> famous, like <laughs> it's just—it's yeah,
2: beautiful. It video. I
3: have oh, you have but it on I have ordinary, normal film that, and I have to still find somebody who I can digit it. But it's there, and I will say, send it to you so you can actually see him speaking those words. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Being a, a humble social service kind of thing, you see that always always okay, those guys, you know, and not important in the big world. Well, at the beginning, we were playing high stakes there. We were on a high level because we wanted to do things that nobody even had thought about. And, uh, of course, it's an interesting story uh, hearing him say, even, can you hear me? But this was a breakthrough also for AT&T and for the, and British Telecom. So this is possible. I think, without knowing it, that British Telecom has learned that. Uh, he would say, oh my God, you know, what those Americans are doing is something that we should pick up. So I think that in that beginning, not, knowing, not known by us, we were doing things that are important in the long run. So the beginning was, the, the, the rest will follow later, but the beginning was a high level.
2: <laughs>
1: so what were some other key moments of HUSITA?
2: Well, for, for HUSITA's history, the key moment was the Denver meeting, where we, uh, I paid and brought together people in Denver from the original working group, and we actually agreed to start an international organization called Tusita, and I went on to incorporate it as a nonprofit, five hundred one c three in the United States. So that was, I think, a very key moment in our history.
1: Yeah, I just paid the ten dollars out of the treasury to keep it going so (laughs) I was like wait why is this Colorado I don't understand but now it all makes sense (laughs) Um, so did you experience any challenges starting HUSITA and if so what were they
2: well I think the challenges as as we've said are the uh, at least in my discipline are the discipline itself but the discipline works with the social And what has been a transformative experience in Western culture today is the mining of the social by companies that have used sociality as a basis for capitalizing them and commodifying human experience and everyday life. And uh, what I think is the largest challenge we face is to actually face up to our work with the social how do we work to incorporate uh, humanitarian values the use the original byline of Husita that I created was a technology to support humanity and of course today that's that is the single largest challenge we face so it's thinking about how we get the profession to confront that so what do you think is one of the biggest challenges
1: of the concept of human services and information technology?
3: The thing is, you must remember that I was the stranger in a strange land in Yosita. I was one of the few who were not involved in the services. It's you, you, human services, information technology. I was interested in the effect on the people. And there around me were all people who were trainers, teachers, universities, etc., Every visit again and again, I, was the, I must remind the people sitting there: I'm not from those parts. I'm telling you here what I think should happen to the people, as you know, who could use it and are not there. And I think the challenge would still be, also in the future, to use it to have an open, more open mind, also to that area, not only focus, as you remember, in in the in the meeting we had yesterday, that was all about teaching, about learning, as the uh, Irish fellow said, he said, learning curves, etc. One-on-one, there's a a student and he has to learn from somebody else or from a data or whatever. In my mind, that's not the important part of learning. It's not learning one learns knowledge, but it's a collective thing. It's people together trying to find out how things are, to find solutions to their problems. And um, to, in my mind the social worker should be part of that collective and not I am. I know how it is and now you listen to me and I tell you I know the social service is moving in that direction but uh, in Holland at least I don't see a lot of signs that the social worker has left that position of I am the one knows about it, you are a voluntary worker, you do what I do and you are the patient, I understand you and here is your solution. I exaggerate, of course, but my thing is, my idea is that the way technology has developed, the the social media, as we have, everybody around us uses social media. The ones who actually really would need it are not using social media. I think one of the things that the challenges that Josita should take up is what can we do about it, and not only how can we teach people to do something about it. So, what do you see as some of the most important or valuable
1: contributions? made by the organization in terms of technology and the
3: ethical delivery of human services? Of course, if you talk about organizations, we're talking about people. And um, I think there are very important things that I've learned uh, from the main players in Yuzita. I will not name names, otherwise some people will say, everybody knows who I mean, but everybody that I met um, and I liked, <laughs> my friends, have contributed a lot to my thinking uh, in, and, and doing the things in the, in the Netherlands. And of course, that's how it works. You know, you don't have an abstract idea. What, what can I, you know, what can I learn and what can I do? The main thing is that I was, by Yozita and by the people there, encouraged to go on, despite the fact that sometimes I had the feeling I was the only one. And uh, as Walter described the situation in America it's it's not so straightforward in holland we are not so well. we don't do that we we say we do it and we don't do it uh, the the uh, people in authority so what you have to do is strategy you have to a uh, long term planning and uh, in the long term planning you really have to be convinced that the things you are doing are are, are right and the only conviction uh, the people who can can, can help me keep on that conviction were mainly not uh, found in Holland. They were found in the USITA uh, corporation, in the USITA group. So
1: looking forward, uh, what do you see as some of the most important needs of uh, human services and technology and and how can USITA contribute to that?
3: Uh, I would say read a paper and see what those needs are in the actual world and see how difficult it is for the players at this moment to solve those problems uh, it used to be more or less a sort of almost thing for the people who were you know out there like walter uh, and uh, brian glastonbury who wrote a book about ethics uh, 20 years ago something like that and everybody says ah oh yeah those guys it's very important very important but nobody saw the the, the how how far that went If they would read the book again, they would say, say, oh, wow, you know, Mm -hmm. this is how we should go ahead. I think that one of the roles that Josita and all the people around it should take is um, go into that real world and say to those people, those big problems that you have are not only solvable by your tools, the tools that they have, political tools, power tools, etc., all those kind of things. You have to go back to be serious about... How people, the ordinary people live, and not, not your view of how ordinary people should live—right wing, left wing, whatever—you know, uh, outsiders, insiders. No, just as you yourself would like to live. You know, it's almost the old-fashioned Catholic idea, you know, love thy neighbor. So you should be able to understand this, what I like to do and what I want for myself is something that I would work for that everybody else has the chance, if they take it, to live the same way. And if you now see how important the, the, the Facebook and the Google roles are in that aspect, and also rem- now, now at, at last see how the, the, the players there say that, of course, we work like this because we have to earn money, we have to do this, and we don't do it, we do do it, with the best intentions. And that's a very old-fashioned story, because I think that that's a story that we heard 20, 30 years ago also. Everybody was doing everything with the best intentions. And what Walter and Brian were saying in the book, best intentions can have very worse results for the people involved. And they were warning in more abstract terms, because there was no Facebook and there was no Google, etc. But nowadays, I think that Yusita should... Get, get more, let's say, on their feet and say and shout instead of mumble. <laughs> they should say to the world, we are from the social work area, okay, you, you can have any opinion about our work, but one of the things that we're very good in is in translating the things that we see into what people actually will feel and how it will affect their lives. And to be more concrete, get out of the whole thing about the teaching and get into the area of what why what, what are we good in what is our job not in terms of, of uh, we are a social worker but what is our talents and I think that in your area uh, there are people, talented people who are able to to put in words what should be done now and in the future and I think Jusita should have a much more loud mouth <laughs> and say this is it Find the press, find whatever, in, uh, say somewhere between all the other experts, we are also experts. We know this, is, this will happen. I told you about the ministry being interested in this uh, subject, and they said to me, um, uh, well, that was more than an ambassador. This was the, a minister, and there's the highest offer officer below that. that is, uh, you know that, I don't know how it's called in you, but we'd call it director general. That man is a very important player. That man was a very good one. He went to Europe uh, later on. He said, I want to go to America on a field trip and, know, and have a talk to all the important people. Can you, he said to me, can you help me out from where to go? And I said, Walter. <laughs> Walter knows all about it. So he said, okay, in my program he will go also to Walter. Over to Walter.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: so I had a call from Washington.
2: And they said, uh, the ambassador would like to visit you. I said, really? (laughs) What about? Oh, he wants to talk to you about computers and human services. I said, good. Okay. So uh, one day at the appointed time, up comes the motorcycles and the cops and this very big black limousine pulls up to the School (laughs) of Social Work. (laughs) The ambassador comes up and uh, visits with me. He said, tell me, what do we need to do in Holland to have computers (laughs) in social work, (laughs) in social services? I said, well, I have some ideas. And so we talked for a while. The ideas uh, turned into a three-day conference in Holland um, where uh, we had not only... um, uh, I spoke about the use of computers in social work to the uh, some of the leaders in social services. But we also had people who were uh, some homeless people, people who were single parents. We had them write plays about how they thought these things might be helpful to them, and those were performed for them. Um, and so it became... Uh, I created a narrative of how computers could be used in everyday life and be helpful to them that was then presented back.
3: Uh, and, and then, now you can see what, hearing what I just said this was my moment those three days because now I could go out of the social service and actually invent the important people so I had those homeless people there I had them everywhere from everywhere everybody but nobody was thinking about them I said come over here if you want to tell them what you want and we had place on the, and, and we had Walter. And that whole conference m- made it happen in Holland that from, from governor, uh, in, in future laws, they were at least thinking about, you know, what computers could do in this area. Not, and it was outside the social services. It was into the society. Yeah. So that was one of my mo- moments of truth. Of course, later on, I had to fight back my, but that, at that moment, I had some influence, and I put it there to work. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was very interesting because in Holland, the way it began, <clears throat> because of the way we, I, I designed the three days, it began with an implementation where in the just in every community, they would begin with um, a person who would invite people in and say, what services do you need? See, we can put them here on this computer and then you'll get them. And uh, Hein can tell you more, but that spread throughout Holland as a very viable way to begin to involve people in in, uh, services because they could see there was a
3: reason to use the computers and that they could be helpful. And an anecdote, an anecdote to help to end. At that moment, of course, the USITA International Organization started to wonder what all those Dutch people were doing. And there were emails, I've never seen them, but I've heard just yesterday that this, uh, Jan, uh, Jan Stejart has seen them. Emails going around is, yeah. the Dutch are taking over. And that's such a typical, I think it's interesting because <laughs> it was all of a sudden seen as a power struggle we were taking over and what she would do about it. It, de- it never went above that level of emails, but it's interesting to, to mention it, that at that moment, these kind of successes were seen as, oh yeah, those Dutch and we are still behind and nobody's paying any attention to us. <laughs> you didn't know that. That's <laughs> so <didn't> interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So what do you see as some of the most important contributions of HUSITA?
2: Well, as uh, we've talked about it, and uh, of course it's mostly educators that have been involved and has progressively involved people a lot in the United States who are social work educators too. Um, I think the important contribution is that it has kept some visibility. uh, on. It's a life support system for examining information technology and human services. The Journal of Technology and Human Services has been a very important artifact there and provides a manner in which academics can actually investigate and explore uh, without continuing condemnation from, you know, different areas about whether or not they should be doing this. But I think <coughs> this is as uh, is a... a Social work moment in the sense that HUSIDA is now poised, because of the focus on social technologies, is now poised to become a very important part of establishing the ethical use of um, information technology in human services um, and even curating. Humanitarian values and how they are implemented—it means it's kind of pivot back towards community organization and the the manner of advocacy that we've uh, that's been a part of our profession from its founding. But try to remember that social work itself was a new social form; it didn't exist, <laughs> you know. Well. Now we have new social forms that didn't exist. We need to be involved in that in the same manner.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here today, talking with us about the beginnings of human services and technology.
2: Well, thank you for having us, uh, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. I think most of this has been invisible, and so it is a pleasure to be able to have other people know how rich the history of uh, information technology and human services really is
3: <laughs> well thank you for almost skipping lunch uh, for us and uh, it was very uh, a big thing for me also because this was the first time I heard about the beginnings of USITA so I didn't even know about it and now I heard from Walter how it actually worked out
1: <laughs> that's wonderful that's wonderful
0: the HUCITA podcast is a production of the Human Services Information Technology Association. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, please connect with us on our website at www.hucita.org, on Twitter at @hucitaorg, or on Facebook at facebook.com/hucitaorg. Be sure to rate the podcast and share it with your networks to help us create a world where information technology is used to promote the social good and human well-being. My name is Jimmy Young. You can also connect with me on Twitter at JimmySW. Thanks for listening to the podcast.